We've been looking at the life of Joseph. I decided a long time ago that it was easier to teach the Old Testament through the lens of individual biographies, and there's just some great ones. And Joseph is one of the biggest names in all the Old Testament. Uh, many scholars, uh, especially historically, saw him as a type of Jesus because so many things of his life parallel what Jesus will do. Um, and, and God uses Joseph in a magnificent way. If you remembering the story, he was born into a family, the 11th of 12 sons, and, and he was daddy's favorite, and daddy gave him a sweet jacket just to prove it. And ultimately, his brothers became so jealous, they debated on whether they should kill him and to compromise instead by selling him into slavery because they were just gracious kind of guys. And as a result of that, he was sold into slavery into Egypt and ended up working in the household of Potiphar, a, a major character in, in Pharaoh's court. And there he was falsely accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. He meets two guys from Pharaoh's court, interprets their dreams. They forget about him. Uh, they, one dies, one goes back to the court. Um, years later, Pharaoh has dreams, and the one who remembered him said, you know, I knew a guy in prison who could interpret dreams, and he's brought out to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And when he does, Pharaoh exalts him to this magnificent role as number two of Egypt, the greatest empire of the world. And he is an interesting guy because there's one level that he clearly is specially gifted. He, scripture says he's, he's well-built, he's handsome, I'm sure he was tall. You know, um, tall people always get the good jobs. Um, uh, and and you know, he, he clearly is a, a faithful person who does an incredible job, but Scripture also repeatedly makes it clear that in spite of all that gift, he also gets elevated unreasonably to high positions because God has a plan in it. And, and, and throughout his life, he, he's just, he, he just keeps being elevated into these remarkable situations. And as, as the dream that Pharaoh had had, as you know, was that, that uh, there would be seven years of plenty when the crops would be abundantly blessed, and then seven years of famine. And, and so Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're so smart, you just take control. And, and he, he takes control of the produce of the land and ensures that the people are provided for. And um, it's just kind of remarkable that... that in one sense, it's, it's God had told him that he would ascend to this significant role. In fact, God said, all your brothers will, and your father will bow down before you, but, but you have all these years of frustration and exasperation, and it's just a crazy story. Today, we're going to look at chapters 45 through 47, mainly chapter 45, because I, I want you to see something about the way God works and how we can respond to him. I, in some ways, this is the best part. Then next week, we'll look at the text. We'll bring all of this together in God's, in God's plan for the nation of Israel. It'll be very theological. Wear your smart hat, and, and we'll work through a bunch of Scripture, and, and it'll be really good, I promise. Um, I don't know who's preaching, but I heard they're good. And, and the, um, but, but today is really a powerful, powerful message about the life of Joseph. Chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself. His brothers are there before him. They've come in to ask for food. 
And remember, he keeps treating them kind of rough, keeps acting like he doesn't know them, keeps, he doesn't acknowledge who he is, and, and, and now he finally gets to the point where he emotionally can't stand pretending before all the attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Um, we oftentimes read Scripture like a bunch of engineers reading plans, um, as, and I mean no due ill respect toward engineers. We have, I'm grateful for engineers. This building is standing because we have engineers. And besides, they're always right. But I know because they all tell me. The, um, no, seriously, you, you make a big mistake if you don't catch the emotion of the text. How badly did Joseph hurt? How badly did Joseph hurt? He wept so loudly they heard him throughout the palace. How badly did this man hurt? How, how, do you and I ever use our hurt as an excuse to not do the right thing? He, he kept doing the right thing in spite of the fact that his pain was immeasurable. So Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? And his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence, and for good reason. I mean, this is the parade of my fraternal knuckleheads here. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they've sold him into slavery, which even in my family is not viewed as positive. You know, and I'm from East Texas. I mean, you just don't generally do this, and family reunions go smoothly. It's, he, he comes in, and he says, I'm Joseph. And they're petrified. Because not only did he sell them in slavery, remember, they debated first, why don't we kill him? Slavery was the nice compromise. And the next few verses are some of the most powerful in all the Old Testament. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said... I'm your brother Joseph. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will now not be plowing and reaping but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but God sent me. Three times, God sent me. If I'm one of the brothers, I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I'm glad he believes that because I think we're the ones that did it, right? God made me the father to Pharaoh, lord of the, his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, and I will provide for you there because five years of famine are to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. 
It took a nanosecond for him to be reconciled. Did you catch that? Now, he's tested them. Remember last week, he, he keeps testing them to see it, it, where they really are. But here, he finally confesses to them, and he's reconciled to them. And you think, how? These are bad guys. They were not playing nice. They, they had an open debate, should we kill him? And then one of the brothers said, oh, that would be messy. Let's just sell him and we can get some money for him. That's even better. Somehow that doesn't make me feel better if I'm Joseph, right? And yet he immediately forgives them and is reconciled to them. And you ask yourself, how did he do that? How was he capable? Of, what, what kind of human being can do something like that? But I think the text explains this to it, it to us. How could he do it? And we can talk about there's a humility here. There certainly is, in spite of him being put by God in this incredibly powerful role. He sees that it's God's hands that put him there. In spite of the fact that he's tall, dark, and handsome, and brilliant, he still sees that it's God's hand. He understands that while he may have worked hard, everything he has is a gift from God, which is an incredibly powerful and important thing for all of us to learn. We too readily take credit for our success and blame others for our failure, right? Um, that's clearly part of it. But there's something else going on here, which I believe is ultimately required to get over injustices experienced and be reconciled. I think it is fundamental, ultimately, when we go through injustice and to be reconciled in the future. And, and by the way, can I say, we all have suffered injustices, some much worse, undeniably. I don't believe the lie. Well, I've hurt too, so it's all the same. That, that's ridiculous. The reality is there are people that go through things that are inexplicably horrible and other people who have gone through things that were difficult. But, but emotionally, I've always said if I hit my thumb with a hammer, telling me that it would have hurt more if I cut it off with a saw, at that point it's not helpful. When I'm hurting, I'm hurting, right? And when you've experienced injustice, it is, it, it is breathtaking, especially if you've entrusted yourself to God. If you said to God, God, I thought you would trust me in all this, and yet you allowed me to go through this. You think Joseph may have had those prayers on occasion? You think he may have one time or another said, God, yo, I'm Joseph. I'm the one with the nice sport coat. Remember? Right? I'm the good guy here. Have you forgotten me? How does he do it? What does the text say? God sent me. Ultimately, nothing will ever fill the gap in our hearts for hurts we experience. They carve a hole out. Nothing fills that. If you've had a spouse walk out on you, uh, that, that's a gap in your heart. That nothing's just going to make it go away. If you've been betrayed in business, if, if, you've, if you've had uh, Christians do things that were inconsistent with what they claimed, uh, what, whatever it is, uh, 
nothing can go back and fill that hole in the heart just by waving a magic wand. You can actively forgive. You can pray God to bless them. You can practice all those spiritual disciplines in your own heart, but, but the past doesn't get undone, right? How do you reconcile to that? How does Joseph do it? God had a plan. Did you catch that? God had a plan. And I, I'm crazy me, I'm going to trust that God has a plan. I, I'm going to believe that in spite of, by the way, this is in no way justifying injustice. This is in no way saying what is bad is therefore good. It's equally bad. It's just saying that nothing in all of creation is so bad that God can't overcome it and do good, which I cannot understand. But Scripture says that, that He can use anything to bring glory to Himself and to bless His children. And here Joseph has experienced this unbelievable betrayal by his own brothers. I mean, horrible betrayal, just not right. And he can immediately reconcile with his brothers because he said God, God had a plan. Now, the difference is, and the part that I'm a little jealous with Joseph, apart from the height thing, is that Joseph got to see how God's plan worked it out. And oftentimes, and you're on my lives, when we've experienced injustice, we don't, we, don't, we don't get to experience, at least not in our timetable, seeing how God was going to use it, right? We have to trust God. Because faith is evidence in things, what? Not seen. In other words, the, 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 the way he was able to so supernaturally be willing to be the instrument of God's blessing to the very lives of the people that had harmed him so deeply was to say, you know, God had a plan. Now, as we'll read the text, he still shows favoritism to Benjamin because Benjamin's wasn't one of them that sold him into slavery. I still think there's a little bit of, oh, by the way, I know what you did. And I'm going to treat Benjamin better because he's not quite the jerk the rest of you are, just so you know. In other words, and, and, and what they did was equally evil. And, and when you see the lives of the other tribes play out, they, their dysfunction, if you want to call it that, their sin plays out in many ways. There, there are consequences for their disobedience. But notice that the injustice is overcome and the reconciliation occurs when people say, God has a plan. Because that's now. And the injustice is in the past. Way too many of us have allowed hurts we've experienced to define us the rest of our lives. Uh, you know, our, our parents, I used to apologize to my daughters all the time. Honey, I am so sorry. I am your father. I'll help pay for a counselor. Um, you know, call your mother. Um, you know, if you're a parent, you know, you've, you've messed them up. Um, employers, uh, religious leaders, 
family, Christian friends. Let's make a list. I suspect I could literally go down the pew, and every one of you could tell uh, experience that, that changed your life because you experienced heartache and justice hurt at the hands of someone that, 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 that just quite frankly, it, it still affects what you do. How, how, how do we go on for that? Do you, do you carry that grudge around with you the rest of your life? Can I tell you from hard experience, grudges are heavy. They are heavy weights. They slow you down. And, and, and when your arms are full of grudges, you're, they're not open to accept blessings. And, and so, Joseph, he, he's willing to be reconciled. Now, he doesn't claim it was, un, it was just. That would have been a lie. That's another Christian alternative where we pretend, oh, it was okay. No, it's not okay. That's called a lie. God only works in the truth. The gospel is, we are sinners. It's not that, hey, we're all okay. No, we're not okay. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And, and when you experience the difficult things, uh, sometimes, especially if it's within the Christian community, you want to say, oh, oh, but it was okay. He didn't mean to. No, I don't go there. Sin is sin. It's okay to call it sin. The question is, where do we go from there? How do we move beyond that to forgiveness and reconciliation? I want to suggest to you the life of Joseph and the story of Joseph is that, that we step up and say, I'm going to trust God in this. I'm not going to trust you. You've already proven you're not trustworthy. He doesn't say to his brothers, oh, I know I can trust you. In fact, that would have been really stupid. What does he say? God had a plan. And because I trust in God's plan, I've been able to move forward in my life. Joseph wasn't defined by the evil that was done to him. He would have never been used by God to accomplish all the things he did if he had been defined by the evil done to him. He was defined by the confidence that God had a plan. He wasn't, he wasn't the guy that was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph was the guy whom God was going to use to do great things. And because he was defined by God's plan and because he had focused his whole hope in God, the brothers almost become immaterial to him. He, he can forgive them. He can be reconciled with them. He can move on with them because it's not about them. It's about God. And I will trust God in spite of you. Did I just say that? I mean, there's a place where we all have to get there, right? I'll trust God in spite of Christians. I'll trust God in spite of the church. I'll trust God in, in spite of betrayals. I'll trust God in, in, in spite of the corruption. I'll trust God in spite of the haphazard way in which God works. I'm just going to trust God. Call me crazy. And as Bill Bryan, a previous pastor, used to say, has it come to this? We're going to trust God. Has it gotten that bad? Can I urge you, can I beg you, 
If you're dragging around burdens of unforgiveness and broken relationships, if injustices have come to define who you are, could you try the incredible step of instead of looking at the one who harmed you, looking to God and saying, Lord, I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust that in spite of this horrible injustice, in in spite of what has happened, in, in spite of the hurt I've experienced, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I'll trust in God. Because I submit to you, that's a whole lot happier place than dragging grudges around, making inventories of our heartache, living in the context of our hurt, becoming victims. Unbelievably powerful idea. It was God who sent me here. Uh, He made me father, verse 8, to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, the ruler of Egypt. So hurry back to dad and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of over Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. And you'll live in the region of Goshen and be near you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all of you here. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are coming. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. God had a plan. And I don't know why God allowed the plan to work out this way. If his brothers hadn't betrayed him, he would have had another plan. I don't know how those two things fit together. I just know that Joseph saw God had a plan. You meant it for evil, he will say in chapter 50, but God meant it for good. And look what God's going to do. He's going to use me to feed you. I would have been thinking, but I'm going to make sure you get all the bad wheat. But little guys have these things about getting even. And when, verse 16, when, oh, and then he throws his arms around Benjamin and weeps. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers, and they all wept. And afterwards, the brothers talked with him. And when the news reached, verse 16, Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and his, all his officials were pleased. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me and I will give you the best of the land and you can enjoy the fat of the land. So was it worth Joseph to go through all of this? Apparently God just said it was. But we still see that he understands who his brothers are. Verse 21, so the sons of Israel did as Joseph said. He gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and took provisions. And to each of you he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing. I still know which one's the good one, by the way. See there? And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. And then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, I love this, please don't quarrel on the way. Bunch of knuckleheads. Knucklehead is a, is a difficult Hebrew word. Um, 
and on down to the end of the chapter, it says, Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive, and I'll get to see him before I die. Can you imagine? In verse 46, Israel, or Jacob, depending on which name is used, returns, goes to Egypt. But first, in verses 1 through 4, God gives him a dream. Uh, so Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. Beersheba is a city uh, that we go to, or ruin when we go to Israel. It is one where Isaac has some significant events and visions. This is the last vision that one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will have a vision. And it's significant because in this vision, God confirms the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 15. So God is closing the, the chapter in, vision-wise about confirming that He will yet do what He promised Abraham even do. Because think of it, Jacob's being uh, taken off to Egypt. He's saying, wait a minute, the promise to Abraham was we get the land of Canaan. So God comes to him and reaffirms His plan. God speaks to Israel in a vision and says, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, He replied. I am God, verse 3, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there, consistent with the Abrahamic covenant of chapter 12, 15, and 17. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. I don't know if you caught that last phrase. Your son will be there when you die. And when your corpse's eyes are still open, he, his hand will be the one that gently reaches across and closes your eyelids so that your corpse has a dignity. Jacob, you, you've gone without your son all this time, but no longer. No longer. It's over. And then verses 8 through 25 is a list of all the family that went. Ultimately, the number 70 and all went back to Egypt. And in verse 29, Joseph gets in his chariot and heads off to Goshen to meet his father Israel. In verse 30, when he sees Joseph, Israel says, I can die now since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Can you imagine And, and the text goes on to say that they're separated off to Goshen because Egyptians hate shepherds, and they do smell bad, just for what it's worth. Um, in verses 47, God provides for Israel. Uh, first, Joseph takes his brothers into Pharaoh and says, tell them you're a shepherd. Everything will be cool. And they tell, five of his brothers go with him. They go into Pharaoh and said, we're all shepherds. He said, good. You can have the land of Goshen. You'll be separate there which is probably in the Nile Valley, very fertile is the word I wanted, and, and you will be blessed there. In fact, the text says that they are given responsibility for the, the Pharaoh's own uh, flocks as well, and God allows them to be in a position where they become a great nation. And then verses 13 through following, we see how uh, God uses Joseph in his position to build up Pharaoh's power. 
because as the people of Egypt keep running out of food, they come to Joseph and said, what do we do? He says, each time he says, we'll give Pharaoh this until finally all the land belongs to Pharaoh and everyone is in essence an indentured servant to Pharaoh and are required from then on to give 20% of their produce to Pharaoh. And, and this is not the same slavery as we experience in the U.S. This is a slavery that was all, people would oftentimes sell themselves into as a way to get out of debt. And the effect of it was just they paid 20% tax, which last time I checked is a pretty good tax rate. I'd be okay with this, right? And just so you see, I'm not glossing over it. Look at verse 25. When the people heard his, his deal, they said, verse 25, the people of Egypt said, you've saved our lives. May we find favor in your eyes. We will be in bondage. God uses Joseph's position to protect his own family, to build the nation of Israel, which is uniquely a part of God's plan, and to save the lives of the Egyptians. Because if he had not received that supernatural dream and God had not explained to him how to set aside the produce during the fat years, then they would have been in a horrible position during the lean years. God's common grace not only is exercised to the people of Israel, but to all people benefit from that grace. Why? Because God has a plan. And, and sometimes his plan takes turns that we don't like. Uh, Joseph wept so loudly they heard him throughout the palace. Don't gloss over it and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, he experienced a certain level of success, but he was in, thrown into a hole, threatened to be murdered, thrown into prison, falsely accused. He went through, and his own family had turned on him. He over and over was a man who had a gaping hole of his, in his heart because the people that should have loved him were the people that had betrayed him the most. But Joseph has just explained to us how he did it. How, how did he keep doing the right thing in the midst of all this? Why did he not ball up in a corner and just say, God, not fair, I'm done? He said, God has a plan. I don't understand it. It's unjust what they did. But God has a plan. And, and, and men and women... Each of us comes to points in time where we have to decide, are we going to trust God or are we not? Uh, we're going to decide that, that He is not obligated to always show us why and how He's working. There are going to be times in our lives when things happen that we never get a good explanation for. When the unfairness is gut-wrenching. And, and we have to decide, are we going to be people of grace who extend love and, and, and are defined by God's love, or are we going to be bitter, angry, hurt people, crippled by our past? And Joseph is a demonstration of, of a man who, who, not the greatest injustices, worse things have happened than what happened to Joseph, but they weren't good. And yet, he looks at those brothers and says, 
No need to apologize. God had a plan. It's not about you. Kind of wonder if he wanted to say, you're not that important. God has a plan. It's easy to trust God when he gives us what we ask for. It's, it's easy to trust God when his plan is so clear and, and consistent with what he expect him to do. The test is, how do we do when, like Job, he says to us, where were you when I created earth? See, there's a part of trust that always implies submission because we trust even when that means submitting to His will that's different from what we think it should be. And Joseph was able to forgive his brothers, to be reconciled, to accomplish unbelievable things because in spite of horrible things done to him, he said, God has a plan. Do you believe me? Let's pray. Father, we confess that it's hard to trust when things are hard. And it's hard to forgive things that are wrong. It's hard to let go and not be defined by our hurt. And it's hard to know how to go forward when the injustice has been so deep. Father, teach us that the answer is not to look around for the solution, but instead to look up to you. And teach us what it is to trust that you have a plan. In Jesus' name, amen.